This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Indeed. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Tuesday, March 24th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. Today is your consumer goods-focused episode, and joining me to talk about the impact of coronavirus on dividend-paying companies, in particular, the dividend aristocrats, is Jason Hall. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today, especially because I know you're out there in California, and I can't imagine how, how challenging things are out there right now. Emily, it is so nice to talk to a human being that <laughs> I'm not related to that doesn't already live in my house. So, this is wonderful. I, I just I want to give you a virtual hug for having me on because you're saving my sanity. You're doing the world a favor right now. Oh, that's good to hear. We here at the Motley Fool, any any of our listeners who are subscribers to one of our uh, premium services are probably aware that we've been doing a lot of live streams for our members over the past week or so. Um, I know you're you're plugging into that some. I know I'm plugging into that some, and and it's definitely been a interesting and busy week for all of us here. Yeah, people people are just uh, you know looking for any good information they can. I was, I, was, um, I was on a live Zoom with three other colleagues who have all been on Industry Focus before, and it was a two-hour call, and we had over a 1,000 people join this live call, and it was announced like the, the night before, and we had over 500 questions. Wow. Yeah, it is. It is so we, we want to do everything we can to, uh, to, to try and, and, and help pull back the, the screen a little bit to help people make some sense of this madness. How are, uh, how are you holding up, Emily? <laughs> well, this is my first experience working from home on an extended basis. And I, I have to say I have the utmost respect for a lot of the Motley Fool contractors now who work from home more permanently because I'll tell you what, um, you know, I think I'm starting to drive my cat insane at this point. That's that's how nutty things have been just stuck in my my relatively small apartment here in Maryland. Yeah, the the cats the cats of the world are all wondering why the help is staying at home all day long, right? That's 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 what they're trying to figure out. As we speak, my cat has uh, found a nice warm place in front of the, the fireplace for us this time. So nice. he's at least going to be quiet, hopefully, while we record this <laughs> podcast, this episode of Industry Focus. Yeah, I should go ahead and apologize in advance for any loud, crashing, screaming noises people hear. I have a three-year-old that's running rampant through the house, so he could, he could come <laughs> flying into the office at any moment. Oh, that's great. Well, hopefully, uh, if the three-year-old does come in, he'll have some opinions about, I guess, dividend-paying companies, which is what we're going to spend today's episode chatting about. Uh, I'm really interested. It's a question that we're getting a lot in our live streams is, is, should I move into safer investments now? Should I move into companies that are, you know, strong, strong balance sheet, often pay out dividends. But I think a lot of our members who, who may be familiar with dividends are less familiar with what the dividend aristocrats are. So maybe you can just tell us and give us a quick introduction to what being a dividend aristocrat means. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, for for a good place to go for anybody that, that can, if you go to our website, fool.com, uh, or just do a Google search, fool.com, uh, what is a dividend aristocrat? You'll find an article that I 
that I help put together that's called Dividend Aristocrats Definition and List. And it's something that we keep updated on a regular basis that explains this information in more depth than I'll give right now. But also, we're going to keep it updated as the list of companies changes, and we can expect that it will change. But here's the short version. The Dividend Aristocrats is is a proprietary name that's actually owned uh, by S&P <coughs> Dow Jones Indices. Uh, and Dividend Aristocrats uh, it must be a member of the S&P 500. Uh, but the short version is that these are companies that have paid and increased their regular dividend for at least 25 consecutive years. So uh, that's, that's pretty impressive for a company to have increased their dividend for 25 consecutive years. Um, and again, it's the base dividend. It's the regular dividend that they pay on a regular quarterly basis. Uh, that they've been able to raise it every single year, um, <clears throat> so that, that's a pretty incre- you know Im- impressive track record for any company to be able to uh, to have accomplished. Uh, at last count, I think there were 57 stocks on the dividend aristocrats list. Um, so that's that's a lot of companies across a lot of industries uh, for uh, for people to uh, have invested in. Yeah, I I did a little bit of digging and. The data that I found was as of the beginning of last month. So this was before coronavirus and and this, I guess, the financial changes that it had an impact on and many of those companies, or at least a few, to say the least. Uh, but at the time, um, I think there were 64 dividend aristocrats. So and again, kind of depends on how you how you define them. Um, but over a third of them were either classified as consumer staples or consumer discretionary companies. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, there's clearly a large impact that the consumer space has on the dividend aristocrats, which is probably important for a lot of our consumer goods focused listeners to consider. Um, so with the idea that the rest of those two to third two thirds uh, being made up of industrial material, mostly financial companies, uh, not really your a little bit of tech, but not as much tech as you may assume. Um, this definitely exposed the dividend aristocrats to, I think, some unique strengths and weaknesses just based off the industry classifications that are mainly included there. So what do you think about strengths when you think about the dividend aristocrats? So I think one interesting thing to point out is that, you you know, remember every current dividend aristocrat, uh, because they've they've had to maintain and raise their dividend uh, for at least 25 years, that means they've, they've all managed through multiple recessions. You know, these are companies that all managed to go through the global financial crisis, you know, just a little over a decade ago and the Great Recession that followed. Uh, but they also made it through the 2000, you know, dot-com crash and the recession uh, that followed that. So, the, the, you know, these are companies that are practiced in and managing through uh, economic downturns, um, you know, and, and, and sure, in some ways, this is going to be different. We don't really completely know exactly how different it's going to be besides the expectations that we're going to see a really hard, really sharp crash in consumer spending. So you think about uh, some of the stores that have closed. You know, it's mainly discretionary goods retailers, you know, companies that just sell apparel or clothing. Um, the, those are the companies. So like you look on the dividend aristocrats list, a company like VF Corporation that they make clothes. Uh, they could feel a much larger impact than, say, Hormel Foods, right? Uh, food. food. You need food. That's a that's a staple item. That's that's something that you're going to buy. 
Um, so I think on the strength side, you think about the, the consumer goods companies that sell staples that are going to remain in, if not higher than usual demand, at least you know st- similar kind of demand uh, that, that, that we've typically seen in the past. And then on the weaknesses side, you've got the, the cyclical companies. So you've got the, the, <clears throat> the companies that might make industrial uh, parts, you know, Illinois Tool Works. Uh, you've got um, you know, companies like that that, 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 they, that they could face a sharp, dramatic fall off in, in some of the things that they do as their industrial customers um, circle the wagons and cut back on spending. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the weird oddness to what we're dealing with now is because this is going to be such a short fall off in consumer spending that's going to have follow, carry on effects throughout lots of industries, but we don't know how long it's going to last. There's a little bit of uncertainty there. Um, but I think on the, on the other strengths side, you start looking at, you know, you've got healthcare companies. These are companies that, you know, generally should generate pretty solid and meaningful revenues through the you know through this downturn because they play a critical role uh, that that is generally unaffected by the economy. So you know it's an interesting it's an interesting mix. So I, I'm definitely among the investors who is guilty of not looking at a lot of the dividend aristocrats over the past decade or so um, as I've traded off for for growthier companies. And then as this downturn has happened, I, I find myself suddenly interested in things like dividend yield, even though I'm 25 years old, right? So, <laughs> I, I, I recognize that there are definitely some unique strengths that kind of come into play more often when there is some sort of recession, some sort of big pullback. But what are some of the, the weaknesses that you see in the dividend aristocrats? So, I think in general, you know, this is something that, that it's, it's not so much, I wouldn't really say that it's necessarily a weakness um, per se, but more of just as kind of a feature, right? The dividend aristocrats, uh, these, these are companies that, that a lot of them have, have made paying and raising that dividend an important part of the, the investing thesis to attract investor capital. So they tend to prioritize things like, you know, maintaining a balance sheet, generating, you know, at least certain levels of return. So they generate enough cash flows to support their dividend and, and to be able to raise it, even if it's a modest amount, raise it every year. And the, the, the impact of that means that they don't necessarily always dedicate as much capital to growth, right? So if you think about the, the stock market uh, as, as one thing, it's on average, it's, it's generated around 10% uh, per year in average annualized returns over the past 50, 60 80 years, depending on when you measure it out over a long period of time. And a lot of those gains are increased or gains in the stock price, right? Because businesses get bigger, they generate more profits, and the share prices go up as a reflection of you owning a share of those, of those profits. Uh, you, you tend to see that most of the dividend aristocrats, they, they don't generally grow those capital returns as much. So you, you're counting on more of your returns from the dividend so they're just not as sexy, right? So that's that's. I think if there's a weakness, it's you tend to own slower growth businesses that prioritize, you know, growing the dividend. Yeah, and in an era where companies like Zoom are up fifty percent in five days, right? You're probably never going to see that type of movement in a dividend aristocrat. Uh, no. 
So there's different data, I guess, that supports different conclusions about the viability of investing in the dividend aristocrats, at least as a basket. Obviously, very different depending on which companies you pull out of that. Um, Over shorter timeframes, as I mentioned, the past 10 years or so, uh, it seems like a lot of these I guess I say legacy companies is probably a strong definition for these companies, but companies that uh, do a lot of traditional work in, in exchange versus companies that are techie, growther, they, they seem to not keep up with a market that values growth. But over the long term, historically, data does seem to support uh, outperformance for this basket. So, how do you feel about the viability of investing in the dividend aristocrats as a basket for the average investor? You know, again, I think it's I think it's still reasonable. That's I've I've, uh, <clears throat> I've ever since I really started studying uh, the dividend aristocrats as a class and as, as and thinking about dividends as as a as a part of the total returns that stocks generate. Um, I've always thought it was you know an appropriate uh, uh, basket. With this, with this caveat that it really it depends on what you prioritize as an investor, right? If from everything that I've that I've seen is the the, the potential for returns compared to say the S and P five hundred, uh, it, it can you know generate modest outperformance, but it's not significant. But again, because it's it's hedged towards companies that grow their dividends consistently and have proven the ability to do that. It's, it's it's core its core group of companies tend to be ones that have incredible financial strength, right? So they might not be growing like a uh, you know like a Zoom, <laughs> I think is a great example, or Slack Technologies, or one of these uh, cloud companies that's you know so so important right now, and that can grow really quickly because they don't have to build a factory and spend two billion dollars and take two years to build it. You know um, their their ability to lever up and grow is is very different than a lot of these core companies. But these companies tend to have those rock solid balance sheets, um, and so and the, and the ability to maintain something that's more stable, right? Again, through the through those dividends. So again, if you're an investor that prioritizes, you know, kind of that little bit more stability, uh, it's the, then I think the dividend aristocrats make a lot of sense. It's 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 as a group, it's consistently paid an above a higher than average dividend yield, as you would expect. Uh, than the than the S and P 500, although it's not that much higher um, in in, a, in in real dollars and percentage wise, it's substantially higher. So that's you know so that could definitely be a nice thing, especially as we've gone through this you know 30 percent you know sell off in the past you know five or six weeks. Um, the most of the companies on the dividend aristocrats list are going to continue. I'd say in a percentage basis you're going to see a lot higher percentage of dividend aristocrats maintain their dividend and then be able to still grow it a little bit within, you know, that 12-month window to stay on the list. And that's going to over over time that should prop up the value, right? It should uh, I th- I think it was um, Benjamin Graham that said in the short term uh, the market is a is a voting machine and in the long term it's a weighing machine. So we still see a ton of volatility like right now today from the market peak to today's pricing, you know, it's about you know, 1 p.m. or so uh, on the 24th. The dividend aristocrats group has actually fallen farther than the S&P 500. It's fallen wow. about, yeah, it's fallen about one percentage point more than the S&P 500. But I think as a, as a group of companies, it's still relatively solid. Part of the reason it's fallen so much is you have individual sectors like the oil and gas sector that is being absolutely 
pummeled. You've got you know, ExxonMobil, Chevron that, that have lost uh, 50% of their value versus you know, 28%, 29% for the market. So you know, that, that pulls, pulls a little bit more down. Um, but again, I think in aggregate, you know, it's still this, this basket. If you, again, if you treat stocks appropriately, that's the big thing. You know, these aren't 90-day investments. These are you know, 10-year investments. Then, then that's where that's where the, this this basket is going to prove to to generate those meaningful gains with stock uh, dividend growth as, as being a, a big part of that. I love that. Uh, but for investors out there who maybe aren't interested in the basket, let's say they don't have the capital to to buy the full basket, they're just not interested. Are there any constituents of the dividend aristocrats that are maybe your personal favorite right now? Yeah, you know, I think it's there's two different approaches you have to take right now, um, and I think this is this is the consideration that you as an investor need to need to consider. If you're if you're if you really want to focus on uh, the companies that are going to be best prepared to maintain their dividend, um, not just from the balance sheet perspective, but but more importantly, their viability through this downturn. You know, you start thinking about the consumer staples companies like uh, uh, Walmart uh, and Target that are going to play really critical roles over the next, you know, three to six months of of supplying the necessities that people that people have to have to live. You know, Hormel Foods again, it's a you know packaged foods maker, and then you start thinking about uh, I don't know. I guess I guess I'm supposed to lead off with um, with um, uh, what's our what's our big our big paper selling company, Kimberly Clark, right? That's the toilet paper one. That's the one we're all supposed to buy. But seriously, you think about Kimberly Clark, you think about Colgate, Palmolive, Procter and Gamble. Um, you know, these are these are these are ones. These are some of the ones that have held up better than the market uh, because people know they're going to continue to sell goods because they're things that people will continue to need. Uh, then you think about the healthcare side. You think about Johnson and Johnson, right? Between their between their pharmaceuticals business and their business selling. You know, band-aids and all the other healthcare products, consumer products, and then you've got Becton Dickinson. I think is one that people can overlook. They do a lot of healthcare supplies, so that's a really critical business right now. Um, so I think if you if you want to shop, and again, I'd say you know pick ten to fifteen. You know, without you, we don't have to most brokerages. You don't have to pay trading fees anymore. It's easier to build a small basket, even if you only have you know a thousand, two thousand dollars to throw a couple hundred bucks here and there at different ones and build a diversified basket. Focus on the ones that are selling consumer staples, healthcare goods, and I think that's where you can build some stability, right? And and not and not be as concerned about seeing a dividend get cut, you know, that sort of thing. Now, but on the on the flip side, let's think about the 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 situation that we're in from a historical perspective. Stocks fell 30%. Today's a big bounce back day. It's a great day, uh, but. <laughs> But, but we don't know how many people are going to be unemployed. We don't know how long this is going to last. So don't base anything on a day. You know, I think you can – today's big jump, you might buy something, and next week or a month from now, it's going to look stupid because, you know, the price is going to be lower. But in a decade, I think anything you buy on this, on this list is probably going to look brilliant. But I think the other side of it that I want to mention in terms of a way to take advantage of the market correction is you start looking at some of the – really financially strong companies that could still, for one reason or another, face a dividend cut or could still face you know, substantial you know, implications for their business. So you think about Nucor, you think about Stanley Black & Decker, 
You know, Nucor is a steel maker. Stanley Black & Decker makes tons and tons of, of, of power tools, things like that. They have a really small uh, healthcare business, but it's a tiny part of their business. The bottom line is that demand for things like steel and power tools is probably going to plummet over the next three to six months to some extent. But these are companies that have been paying dividends for you know, half a century and growing them. They've been on this list for forever. Then you look at a company like Aflac. The stock has absolutely been smashed down. This is a company that has decades and decades of history of, of go navigating these environments. So I bring these up because these are stocks that are far more beaten down than the market, but they have great balance sheets, managements that have proven so good at navigating these environments in the past. And I think that even if you see a dividend cut from one of these stocks and it falls off the dividend aristocrat list, these are the kind of stocks that if you buy at today's prices and you fast forward out two, three, five, ten years from now, the potential returns are absolutely enormous. Absolutely enormous. If you think about a stock that's lost 50% of its value from the peak today, if you purchase today, the market recovers, the company gets back to normal and just returns to its previous stock price, your value doubles of your investment just to get back to that prior stock price. So the, 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 multi, the, the mathematics work in your favor to buy uh, even these companies that have some risk of cutting their dividend, if they're the strongest companies, definitely plays to your, your advantage. These aren't airlines that are on this list. These are companies that will see a cyclical decline, but have the ability to manage through it and come out and still be very viable. I love how you clarified that these aren't airlines or, or cruise ships, for instance, right? Companies <laughs> yeah. that are operating in industries that will likely need bailouts or some sort of, of large cash and flux yeah. just to keep themselves afloat. Uh, it's a great clarification to make when people look at just dividend yield. Uh, that can be very misleading for a lot of these maybe companies that have some uh, more terminal issues, at least uh, some very strong headwinds in front of them. Now, I feel like you, you kind of already answered this question, but I'll hit on it again. My impression was, and again, I am, I'm young, right? So, this is the first big market pullback that I've been actively investing through for the most part. Uh, my impression is when you see big pullbacks like this, a lot of people tend to not only flood out of equities, but flood into companies that they see as being safe investments. So, do you, do you not fear at all about the valuations of these dividend aristocrats being somewhat artificially inflated right now because uh, they're view, viewed as safe investments? I, I really don't. I think you know even 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 the ones that have held up the best have have still lost value, um, and there's a ton of uncertainty. Right now, even you know, I think you look at a day like today where stocks are up seven or eight percent. Um, they're up that much because nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. Um, it's not responding to good news. It's it's the equivalent of of somebody, a bunch of people standing around in the emergency room, and somebody serving up shots to everybody and say, "Hey, the doctor just said that he might not die." You know, it's <laughs> it's not it's not great news. So there's so much uncertainty baked in. That, that we don't know. I, mm -hmm. I think the other thing too is, is, you know, let's, let's be honest. We think about valuations. We start looking at, you know, PE ratios, you know, uh, price to cash flows, all those, you know, those valuations that we use, they're, you know, they're tip, they're based on, you know, last year's results. I don't think last year's results really offer us any clue, um, about most of the companies on this list. Um, how their, how their 2020 results are going to be, right? It could be very ugly, but they do give us a baseline, a baseline of how these companies 
may look in two, three, five years out. And every one of them is discounted double-digit percentages from where it was, you know, six weeks ago. So, so there, again, there's, there's, there's tremendous value here. I think the other part of it, too, is that we need to, to, to think about, you know, where interest rates are now. Even, even when, when things get back to normal, and they will, they will get back to normal. Normal may look a little different, but things will get back to normal. Interest rates are going to remain exceedingly low for an extended period of time as the Fed slowly raises, raises rates back up. I think we've already seen that over the past decade, where the, the window for what is a reasonable valuation for a dividend stock has been moved higher because interest rates are lower. And I think that could ma- maintain the case for an extended period of time. Um, I think where we also have to be careful is, you know, remember that the, the dividend aristocrats you know, will fall off the list. The global financial crisis in 2009 and 2010, a total of 19 companies fell off the list. About half of them were financial companies like banks, which, you know, is the biggest banking crisis, you know, in, in almost a century. Um, and this time around, you know, that's different, right? So the companies most at risk are, you know, companies like VF Corp. Uh, I think about a company like Cisco that, you know, supplies tons and tons of stuff to, to restaurants. Um, and that, that industry is absolutely getting obliterated. Um, so, and then on the, fl- the other side too, you have energy companies, you know, ExxonMobil and Chevron, they have really good balance sheets. They carry tons of cash, they have very good credit ratings, so they have access to low cost capital. But oil prices are, are between 20 and $26 a barrel right now. Uh, nobody makes money. Uh, there's no, no U.S. oil company that's making money uh, with oil if it stays below $30 a barrel per an extended period of time. Uh, companies, oil producers, I should, I should be very specific about. So, you know, it's, it's, we're going to lose companies here, um, and, 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 and who knows, you know, what's, what's going to happen. But again, in aggregate, thinking about the long-term opportunity, you know, the high-quality companies that, that aren't necessarily subject to potential devastation, these are the prices that may look stupid in a month, but they're going to look brilliant in a decade. I love that. Um, you know, Jason, before I let you go, I know that you wanted to make a quick plug for an upcoming industry-focused episode, and I, I, that kind of applies what we're talking about today. Yeah, our, our uh, colleagues and uh, friends, Nick Seipel and, and uh, Lou Whiteman, they're going to be on on Thursday on the Energy and Industrial Show. They're going to be talking about uh, one of the dividend aristocrats um, that's spinning off part of its business. United Technologies uh, is a large conglomerate with a lot of defense uh, <clears throat> industry parts, but it also owns like carrier air conditioners and a couple of, of other more consumer uh you know, commercial stuff, and they're spinning off some some, some subsidiaries, and that could have some repercussions to its status as an uh, aristocrat. So tune in on Thursday to hear Nick and uh, and, and Lou um, uh, share some information on on that story. Yeah, I, I'll definitely be interested in listening to that. I'll tell you what, Jason, I, I'm way more interested in the dividend aristocrats uh, now than I was approximately an hour ago. So I, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I think, you know, just in general, it's, it's the reminder, you have to treat stocks appropriate. You have to own them for the long term. The dividend aristocrats are, are no exception to that. Um, and, and the bottom line for me is it's, it's, you know, there's plenty of cliches. Buffett's, you know, greedy when others are fearful. Baron Rothschild's buy when there's blood in the street, even if it's your own blood. The bottom line, those are persistent cliches because they're, they're true. 
Uh, this is exactly the time that history proves out that the buyers are the ones who will win, not the sellers. Yeah, there's going to be losers, and that's some of these dividend aristocrats are going to be losers. But I think it's still a viable approach. You could buy the whole basket. You could buy the ProShares dividend aristocrats ETF, or you can pick you know, the 10 to 15 uh, across various industries and hold for the long term. You may get burned in the months ahead. Um, with you know, stocks are going to fall. You might see some dividend payouts get cut. But when you measure it out over a few years or decades, today's prices are going to look very smart. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate this moment of sanity, and I hope uh, <laughs> hope I help some of you out there listening. Well, it certainly helped me, uh, listeners. That does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. And if you're looking for any more of our podcasts, you can always subscribe on iTunes. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the screen today. For Jason Hall, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.